Hey, this is your host, Paul Edsbitter Jr., and I'm here to remind you that if you have access to iTunes, we ask that you rate and review the show. That way we'll be able to climb the charts and continue to deliver bigger and better guests so that we can continue the educated hustle journey. And now, let's start the show. Welcome to the Educated Hustle Podcast. This is your host, Paul Antonio Jr. and my co-host, Emilio Porter. Emilio, what's going on, man? It's going good, man. It's going good. This is another milestone, another monumental moment. We've done hit two years of the show. It's insane because I remember, I feel like we dropped our one year all hustle just like two days ago. And we've already got to do a new benchmark of two years. So it's just like... You know, I don't believe we hit the sophomore something about our rookie, you know, about ourselves. <laughs> Definitely, man. It's crazy how time flies. And all the different episodes we put out, all the different people we talked to, you know, recently, if you guys are listening, we hit the 100 episode, which was a definitely um, a great accomplishment. And now to hit another year is uh, crazy to kind of think about. But, you know, it's just another day's work. You know what I'm saying? It's nothing... Nothing too crazy. You know, we're out here just producing content and giving you that great uh, inspiration that you look forward to and subscribe to on a weekly basis. Yeah, definitely all of that. And then the cool thing with me is the podcast is technically older. So that's why I kind of benchmark it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been an insane two years. I agree, man. I agree. Well, definitely don't want to harp too much on it. We definitely want to give you guys the content that you come here and expect from us. Um, so we're going to get you uh, two articles that you need to know this week before we dive into an introduction of our guests. Um, the first article deals with net neutrality. Um, if you guys remember, um, a couple of months back, the big discussion about net neutrality ending, well, the end date is finally near. It's going to be uh, the rules will expire on June 11th. And basically what it's going to do is um, if there is no repeal by the Senate, uh, basically the you know the internet would kind of be a free for all. And what consumers are afraid of is that there's not really too much freedom as far as companies are out there. There's a lot of companies that kind of hold a monopoly in certain areas. So if they aren't regulated by the FCC anymore, uh, people fear that they're gonna slow down their internet to have users charge more for faster internet and the government will have nothing to do about it because these rules are no longer in existence. Um, the companies like AT&T and Comcast promised that they wouldn't do such a thing, but you know, you know, you can't really trust anybody nowadays because everybody's trying to make money out here. So, uh, Emilia, I definitely want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, very, very scary time, very scary situation. You know, they do it overseas in Australia where they do tier packaging to where, hey, if you want to be able to access social media, I'm gonna need another five dollars. Hey, you want to stream on your video games, you know, your video game system, I'm gonna need another five dollars. Hey, you want to get Netflix, I'm gonna need another ten dollars, and they get away with it, and if that were to come to America and be like terms of that nature, it, it would be definitely problematic. I think we take a lot of the things that we could do internet for granted and for it to be limited, you know, definitely going to cause an outrage. But at the same time, if there's nothing you could do about it, nothing you could do about it. 
I I don't want to live in a in a you know I don't want to live where if I want to play my Xbox online I gotta I gotta phone out a twenty if I want to you know stream from Netflix I gotta give them five just for the privilege to it like that 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 doesn't make business sense to me and I really do hope that a repeal is coming or some rules are put into place to prevent that because like you said when you get these you know big companies go together and you live in an area like me where you only got two internet choices, one being trash or one being a step up from trash. You're put into a tight hole where it's like, well, I got to go with dumb. And guess what? Dumb is taxing. So I really do hope something's coming about. This is one of the things that I actually try, you know, put my hand and do repeals. I wrote letters to this to my senators. I, you know, I got really automated responses back from Marco Rubio and all these other, you know, people who are big top in there. But, you know, I did my part. So I really do hope that people make some ways and definitely do what they can to get this repeal going because, you know, under the current regulation for when June 11 ends, this could be some dark times. You know, you're probably not going to see something for, you know, a couple of months. But trust me, by the end of this year, they're going to drop that hammer. They're going to drop that hammer and it's going to definitely shake some people up. And really the people that lose out are the small businesses, the people who use Internet right now to really thrive and get their business out of the year because, if they're able to tax you at such an early rate just to get that and that you need to run your business, shoot, already out the gate, that's another hurdle that you weren't anticipating about. I agree, man. Definitely, you definitely dropped a lot of knowledge for our guests, our our listeners to be aware of. And, um, you know, I, they're, in the article they state that this week coming up that there might be a chance of it being repealed or, uh, you know, there's another Senate vote that's happening, but uh, there's... It doesn't look like there's much uh, opposition to this happening. So, I mean, like you said, you did your part right into the Senate and making sure that they heard your voice. You know, the people that listen to the show, if this is a matter that you guys are well-versed on, definitely feel the, feel the freedom to do the same thing and make sure that your, vo- your voice is heard. Um, because it, it sucks that it's not something that the people can vote on. It has to be in the hands of, you know, the people that control our government so at the same time just make sure you do your thing as as uh you know the the midterm elections are coming up maybe if this is a topic that is near and dear to you you can use this as something that uh that you can uh, endorse a different candidate coming up so that those people get replaced out of office so definitely a lot to keep in mind when uh these new political times are that we're in and just to make sure that you kind of keep tabs on these people who are making these decisions. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are going to be surprised if nothing happens and then they get slapped with these charges that they're probably saying, so wait, why this happening? It's going to all come back to this and they're going to feel like, wait, why didn't I know about that? I mean, obviously, they don't want people to know about it. They don't want the mass stare that's going to come with it because if more people knew, they would be up in arms again. But the people are definitely in the know, like, make your voice heard. It's just something that can really change the internet landscape. And if you're like me, if you're like McCall, the internet is probably ingrained in you. It's probably a big thing. You, you probably use it more than you even think you use it. So definitely want to get a handle on it because, trust me, it's, it's not going to be fun when all those activities they for granted, like Netflix and chilling and everything, come with additional price tag. <laughs> I agree with that, man. Well, definitely wanted to segue into our next article. Um, it's about your career evolution, and it's titled How to Figure Out If You're in the Wrong Job. And basically, there in this article, there's five different motives that really drive you when you're um, at the workplace. And if, you know, if 
you are higher in one area and your job isn't providing that, then you got to definitely seek another opportunity to work in, in another job that kind of highlights these motives. Um, so number one is achievement. Achievement is definitely, you know, something that if you're in a job that you're looking to advance or get promoted or get recognized, uh, if that's something that uh, interests you, then this should be higher on your list. Um, some people come to work for affiliation. Affiliation is trying to, you know, make sure that you're maintaining close relationships with uh, coworkers. So working in a team, if that's something that you uh, feel that you need to do, but your job's not providing it, then you might want to work in an environment that um, affiliation is, you know, one of the main things. Um, number three is power. You know, if you need to want, if you want to work in an environment that you have influence over others or influence over people who can make decisions based on your recommendation, then you got to work in an environment that um, power is the main focus of the job. Autonomy. So if you want to control your own, your own work environment and determine its direction, then that's something high on the list for you in your career. And you want to look for jobs that, you know, you, you, you work on your own. And then purpose is number five. Um, so basically, you want your work to kind of be for a higher cause. So you choose organizations that you connect with you, you, to work like more socially. Usually education is kind of in this field. So um, so that's kind of the five, uh, you know, the five motives that people usually think about when they think about a place of work. So if you're working in somewhere that is more power-based, but you want to be somewhere that has a greater purpose, you definitely got to look for companies who are um, providing that opportunity. So I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on that, Amelia. What do you what do you think about the five motives and, and maybe what are some of yours that you look forward to in a job? Uh, definitely the purpose one. I, I, I think a lot of people want to know at the end of the day they made a difference that, you know, what they did mattered when they put those nine, eight hours in. Um, definitely the... A, a, I would say autonomy, but not in the sense of you're working by yourself, but more in the sense of you're not being micromanaged. I think everybody hates when you got someone who's always looking over you and it's just like, yo, bro, I've been here for like, you know, X amount of months. Like, I got this. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. We, I know how to take care of it. But I think the interesting thing is when you work a job that doesn't have uh, something that motivates you. And then you go to one that does and you kind of see the difference. Like the world is like a, a better place. And I know speaking from my experience, my, my last job, I enjoyed it a lot, but I didn't really have like that uh, purpose, that sense of achievement. And then going to my current job, I could see that in abundance. I can definitely understand my role. And I feel like that's helped me have a better time, not only integrating with the company, but just, you know, getting up and going to work. I feel like it's a lot more enjoyable. I feel like I'm doing more and I feel like my brain is being tested more than what I was doing in my past position. So, yeah, I definitely say to all of our guess if you're in one of those jobs where you do feel like it's time to move on because you're not being stimulated mentally you're not feeling that achievement you're not feeling that purpose and you feel like you're not being recognized you know moving to move on to greener pastures i do the same thing and trust me when you get into that position that definitely utilizes you and makes you want to do better it's a night and day difference and it's something that makes you go you know what i'm really glad i'm here because it's where i'm really going to take off and you know fly as they say i agree man um you know that's what I kind of think about when I kind of reflect on what I'm doing and what I'm doing for as far as work. You know, sometimes it, I, I love the fact that I can work on my own and create my own schedule and kind of make decisions based on, like you said, not being micromanaged. But, you know, at times it feels like I don't get the praise or, you know, feel that achievement that I need to kind of, 
get me through the day. So sometimes if you don't have that feeling, then I can understand why you kind of think about looking for a new opportunity or finding a new company that has the same values that you hold. So I definitely think for our listeners, if you're going through thinking about a career change or maybe you got laid off and you're looking for a better opportunity for yourself, don't just look at the paycheck or the, or the money that comes from the job, but you got to kind of, like you said, get up and look forward to the day rather than wake up and be like, ah, oh, I got to go to my job today, you know, think about it. And then, you know, you start to think about all the doubt, all the stresses. And if that's the feeling that you have and you multiply that by five days a week, how many hours a week you work, that's just kind of the the burden that you put on yourself. And at the end of the day, I don't think it's it makes for a very happy life. Yeah, and let me get on my soapbox because, you know, I'm a, I'm a host and I could do that. And I just wanted to spell <laughs> one of these things I, I can't stand. I always hate the saying, you know, if you, if you, if you do what you love, you'll, 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 you'll never work a, a day in your life or something like that. <laughs> I, I always hate that notion or if you, if you, you know, have, if you basically the whole, uh, the, the, the myth of if you're doing something that you really like at your workplace, you'll want to, you'll want to do it all the time. I don't buy that one bit. I don't care what job like you have. You're always, if someone was like, hey, man, you don't got to come in today, I feel like you're always going to take that out, especially if you have family, other commitments, or just things you just rather do that day. I think you could have a job that you think is amazing and it's great, but I think a lot of people still prefer that time to relax and be themselves and be at home. Obviously, I'm not advocating you stay home all the time, but I, I find it really hard to believe that you have this amazing job and someone's just like, hey, you don't have to come in today. You know, you can spend time with your family, go do this and that. That someone's going to be like, nah, man, coming in here, that's the, that's the only thing I live for because, you know, I'm doing what I love. That being said... <laughs> If you're like that, I haven't met you, so please introduce something to me because I, I, I want to know who's out here really saying they'd rather be at work than doing something else. Anyways, I'm going to get off my soapbox because, you know, we got other stuff to get into, but I just had to let that be known. <laughs> Interesting take, man. No, I agree, man. There's definitely times where, you know, a day off is definitely something better than going into work. I definitely agree with you on that. Um, but let's segue into our guest who made... Uh, a similar transition. He had a job that he hated. He didn't want to go to. So he made his own career out of real estate. I'm talking about our guest, Mr. Mark Podolsky. He is the founder of The Land Geek. He came on the episode um, and dropped knowledge about land and real estate investing. So, you know, most people who invest in real estate, like myself, uh, usually invest in a property with a house that's already on there or a building that's already there. Well, Mark has found a way that he just invests in the land and not the actual building. And he's going to talk to you about the different strategies of looking up land, you know, making sure that it's priced right, and then flipping it off to another individual who wants to develop on that land. So um, definitely an interesting way to invest in real estate. And like he says, he has his website, thelandgeek.com, where you can kind of go on there and learn the methods that Mark preaches on this episode. So definitely check it out, you know, learn from it and definitely let us know what you think. Yeah, Mark's a very technical depth. He really kind of elaborates on his mindset and how he's thinking and how he really makes his moves. And I think the cool thing about him is probably the fact that, you know, he took a chance doing this 
go into an auction by himself, only have $3,000 in his pocket, and really working his way up and taking a big chance on himself. I mean, he had, he'll tell you in the interview, he had a big corporate job. He was getting paid that, you know, well, he ain't emphasized, but I probably assume he was getting paid some stanky money, but he just did not like the culture he was in. He didn't like what was being expected of him and everything. And he kind of wanted to do his own thing. And he was able to get through with Lanavest and eventually be able to part ways. So I think there's a lot of racial behind him. He definitely embodies educate us a mindset where you use these calculated, you know, risks and gains to really make a career and niche for yourself. And, you know, so many years, later he's still able to do it and think one of the things about him that was really stood out to me was how he fell he told us about his biggest failure how he lost a lot of money like a lot of money and had to scale it back reevaluate and readapt you know there's a lot of people that when they when they used to walking around the minks and having the best they don't really know what to do when they lose the rights to do it and marcus on who said you know what i was in, I, I went i had a step back go to the bottom a little bit then I was able to recalibrate and get right back to it. So I think that's the best thing about an entrepreneur is if the, even when they fail, they still know how to adjust to learn and get right back to the money. I agree, man. So, yeah, definitely. He drops a lot of knowledge about those issues. And, uh, you know, real estate is definitely something if if you don't have much money, uh, Mark definitely makes sure that to let you know that, that you don't need money to necessarily uh, you don't need your own funds, at least to invest in real estate. So that's another little uh, sneak peek to the interview. Uh, just make sure you guys enjoy it. Take your notebook out, write some copious notes, and, and make sure that you listen to Mark and how he could probably spark the mind to change your, your life and get out of that job that you don't like, you know? Exactly. So, you know, I think we've done enough gushing over the man. After this short commercial break, we're going to give right to you in live speed the land geek himself, Mr. Mark. All right, and today's guest, his name is Mark Podolsky. He's the founder of The Land Geek. Mark, how are you doing today? Pulse is normal. Respiration's fine. Uh, Paul, Emilio, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We appreciate you, man. And uh, just to get it started, can you tell us a little bit about your business? Sure. I've got three different companies. My, my main company is Frontier Properties. I'm a professional land investor. I've done over 5,200 land deals and growing. So that's one company. Uh, the second company is Land Geek. And Land Geek takes all the knowledge I've had from the past 17 years of investing in raw land. And I teach other people how to get out of what I call solo economic dependency, which means if you're not working, you're not making any money. And I walk you guys through my model, but essentially what I do is I teach people how to create a passive income that exceeds their fixed expenses. So they're working because they want to, not because they have to. And the third company is geekpay.io. It's a software as a service startup, which automates payments between lenders and borrowers. And it's sort of, I scratched my own itch and that company is going very well over a thousand users and, um, and growing. And that's incredible. I think, uh, some key things I want to go back on is, you know, over 17 years experience and over 5,200 deals in raw land. So that means you must have a good eye. So I kind of ask, I want to ask what in your opinion is the quality of trait that an investor needs to be successful? I think they have to really have a, 
uh, a flexibility about them because nothing remains static in the marketplace. The marketplace is constantly changing. And what worked in 2001 when I started won't work today. What worked in 2006 doesn't work today. Uh, worked, what worked really well in 2014 doesn't work as well today. So having this curiosity, this flexibility, and um, this constant sort of uh, attitude of Kaizen or continuous improvement, I think really differentiates uh, professional investors from the amateurs. Yeah, I, I agree, man. Uh, you know, when people think about real estate, they they tend to think either flipping houses or rental properties. So I kind of wanted to ask, you know, what makes you go into land and what are some of the advantages that you can tell our audience? Sure. I mean, you know, the way I got started in it was I was in an, an investment banker and I was specializing in mergers and acquisitions with private equity groups. And I hated it, right? I had a, a 45 minute commute to work and back. Uh, I was micromanaged. It was long hours. It was high pressure. And it got so bad for me that I wouldn't get the Sunday blues anticipating Monday coming around. I'd get the Friday blues anticipating the weekend going by really fast and having to be back at work on Monday. So my firm hires this guy and he's telling me that as a side hustle, he's buying up raw land, pennies on the dollar, and he's flipping them online. And he's making on average a 300% return on his investment. Well, I'm looking at companies all day long in a great company. A great company has 15% EBITDA margins or free cash flow. Great company. Average company is a 10%. And I'm looking at companies all day long less than 10%. So I've got $3,000 saved up for car repairs. I go to New Mexico with them. I go to this tax deed auction. I buy up 10 half-acre parcels, an average price of $300, and put them online. Next thing you know, the, you know, about 30 days later, they all sold for an average price of over $1,200, 300%. It worked. So I took all that money and went to another tax deed auction in Arizona where I live, and there's, you know, there's 2,000. There's no one in the room. I'm buying up lots and acreage. I'm doing exactly what my set, my friend said to do. I made over $92,000 just on that one auction. So I said to my wife, I'm like, honey, I'm going to quit the job. And I'm going to invest in land full time. And she said, absolutely not. She was full time. So I said, fine. So I worked my land business part time for 18 months until the land investing income exceeded the investment banking income, and that's when I quit. And so the way the, the model works is simple. Do you guys want me to walk you through it? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so where do you guys live? Let's say Florida, because we've been two different parts. <laughs> okay, so I see, oh, okay, so I'm, I'm looking at a county in Texas, and sure enough, I see Paul and Emilio own this 10-acre ranch, and they they owe $200 in back taxes. Well, you're advertising two things to me. Number one, you have no emotional attachment to that raw land. You live in Florida. The property's in Texas. And number two, you're telling me that you're distressed in some way. We don't pay for something. We don't value it. And you owe $200 in taxes. So what I'll do is I'll look at 
comparable sales for the last 12 months for similar uh, 10 acre parcels. And then all I'm going to do is divide by four. And that gets me what Warren Buffett would call a 300% margin of safety. And then I'm going to send you an actual offer for that 10 acre parcel. So let's say, for example, that the comps are $10,000. The most I'm going to pay then is $2,500. Now, you owe $200 in back taxes. You've been getting notices from the county. If you don't pay your taxes, you're going to lose the property to a tax deed auction. So $2,500 for you is better than nothing. In reality, 3 to 5% of people accept our quote-unquote top dollar offer. So in our illustration, you guys accept the offer of $2,500. So now I'm going to go through my due diligence checklist. Number one, I want to make sure Paul and Emilio actually own the property. Number two, I want to confirm that the back taxes are only $200. Number three, I'm going to make sure there's no breaks in the chain of title. Number four, I'm going to make sure there's no liens or encumbrances on the property. And, you know, make sure there's something compelling about the property. There's legal access and this whole checklist, right? Everything checks out and I buy it for $2,500. Now I have a built-in best buyer for that property. So I can quickly sell it for $10,000. Do you guys know who it is? The neighbors. The neighbors. <laughs> so I send out neighbor before I go protect your views, protect your privacy, expand your holdings. So oftentimes the neighbors will buy that property. Now, if the neighbors pass, I'll go to my buyer's list. The buyer's list passes. I'll go to a little website you guys probably have never heard of called Craigslist. It's the 10th most trafficked website in the US. I'll also go to Facebook buy sell groups. And then there's companies like landmoto.com, landsofamerica.com. So within 30 days, I'm going to sell this property. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to do owner financing. I'm going to make it irresistible. So I'm going to say it's a $2,500 down payment. And then I'm going to make it a car payment, $449 a month at 9% interest over the next eight years. And so now I get my money out on the down payment or within six months of the down payment. I've now created a passive income stream of $449 a month for the next eight years. And I don't have to deal with any renters, rehabs, renovations, or rodents. And because I'm not dealing with a tenant, I'm exempt from any onerous real estate legislation like Dodd-Frank, the SAFE Act, or RESPA. So the game that we play then is can I create a, enough of these land notes where that passive income exceeds my fixed expenses and then I'm working because I want to, not because I have to. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And I think you make it sound so easy now, but I'm sure, like you said, when you started back in 2001, it, it wasn't that easy. And I think a lot of people, they don't ever get over the hump of getting over that first time and attempting it, but you did. So can you kind of tell us, like, what pushed you to get over that hump and purchase your first parcels of land, despite, that, of course, that fear and uncertainty? Misery. <laughs> I mean, when you're, when you're really, really miserable, right, um, you'll try things. And I was, I was in a crisis. And so for me, my why was so big and so powerful. I never wanted to have to work on a resume again. And here I saw was my opportunity to get out of that. And so the worst case scenario, and I did the math, especially with my wife was, well, the worst case scenario is I own an asset that I don't have to maintain, 
I don't have to protect. And the only expenses with it are annual property taxes, which are under $20 a year. I mean, worst case, I could barter this property with my dentist or, you know, my, <laughs> I bar free bar free haircuts for two years or free dentistry for a year. So the risk was really low for me, but the upside was huge. And so that gave me the courage to, to move forward, even in the face of uncertainty and risk and fear. And I had all those, you know, those fears, but I kind of just said, look, if I don't do this, the current situation is way worse than, than anything else. I agree, man. I agree. And, um, you know, a, a common thing that I usually hear about people that have fear of getting into real estate is because, you know, they don't have the capital to buy the money or the prop or to buy the land. Um, so what are some ways that people can invest without maybe using their own money or, you know, just ways to kind of raise capital if they don't have their own? Well, I mean, the nice thing about this business is it's a, it's a, you know, a billion dollar market and no one's doing it. I mean, if you go on HGTV or the DIY network, um, you're not going to see flip this land. It's just me in front of my computer. <laughs> so, I mean, I've got clients, they started with $500. Um, they had no money, like literally no money to buy the property. So what they would do then is they would tell their seller, Hey, look, it's going to take me 90 days of due diligence to, to buy that property. And so they're like, okay. So they, you know, it takes two days to do due diligence. So what they did then was they sent out those neighbor letters. And in this example, Paul locks up the property for $2,000, but he sells it to the neighbor for 12,000. So the neighbor then pays him $12,000. He pays off his seller $2,000. He does a dual closing and he literally creates $10,000 of capital just by sending out mailers. So you can do that, but I can guarantee you that if you buy any asset, it doesn't matter what it is, raw land, a car, you know, um, anything, it doesn't matter. There's someone else on the other end of that deal. You could wholesale it out, market up hundred percent. There's enough meat on the bone for the retailer. So money is never the issue in this business. It's always, can I lock up the deal? And that's crazy. And, and I think one of the cool things about you, Mark, is like, no matter what you do, especially on this podcast right now, you seem to have your personality in check. If you go to your website, you know, you, you probably say, get geeky, I can help you. What has like really led you to be really comfortable in your skin? Like what has helped you embrace your personality, allow yourself to just be you? You know, it's so funny. I think it, it comes down to failure again. So in 2010, I mean, I'm, I'm making so much money, guys, that I was out of control. Um, I don't know if you've ever had the, the opportunity to live without limits, but I was living that lifestyle. And so, you know, I had a multi-million dollar home. I had luxury cars. Um, I had a nanny. I had three kids. I had a housekeeper five days a week. Um, we were going on big trips. And I had my kids in private school. I mean, it was crazy. And so all of a sudden in 2010, my business took a 40% hit. And I mean, that was such a massive kick to my ego. When I look back and I say, oh my gosh, I was completely living in this way that was completely contrary to my values, right? And it took that type of crisis 
I had to sell the big house, had to fire all the staff, had to put my kids in public school. And if you've ever had to look your child in the eye and tell them, hey, you know, I, I can't, you know, I mean, I messed up. Right. And the adults and you're not supposed to mess up like, you, and I, you know, you're going to have to go to this school now. That's a really serious thing. And the ego sort of falls by the wayside. And instead of going out for big steak dinners on, you know, on Saturday night, we would stay home and cook and and play charades with the kids. And so I think going through all of that, you really can just kind of know that you don't need to put on this facade anymore. Like you kind of know, like no matter what happens in life, you're going to be okay. And there's no reason, you know, to have the ego sort of running your life. Like that's like, I was just so arrogant, and full of myself. And I thought I was something special. And it's, it wasn't me at all. It was just, I was in a good market and uh, it really forced me to reexamine what's really important to me in my life. And ultimately it's, you know, the quality of my relationships and all this other stuff is nice. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not going to make me happy. I think going through that is uh, something that, you know, I'm a cautionary tale. Like you guys don't have to go through that to know that, right? Like you, you can learn from my mistakes, but, um, I, you know, I didn't have anybody telling me that. And I, I thought, well, this is, this is what's going to make my parents proud or this is what successful people do. And it ended up to be a, a recipe for unhappiness. Okay. And I mean, yeah, that sounds like something like a big eye opener, you know? So I wanted to know, you know, after you saw your business take a, a 40% hit, you know, how did you kind of bounce back and, and rebuild it? So I really started looking at systems, automation, delegation, treating it like a really real business and, and pivoting, right? And so those are the types of things that I, it really made me, it forced me to be a better business person because everything was coming so easily until then. And then I was able to sort of look at it from a different point of view and see, okay, this model is great, but I'm not really running it like a really big business. And that's when I started, you know, creating the software systems. Um, I've got a, a team in the Philippines. I have an acquisition manager and allowed me to really become an entrepreneur with it and, and grow it to the next level. And I think the cool thing about you is, you know, you, you're so heavily invested with land and, and, and investing and all those other endeavors that it's easy to forget. You also are a podcaster. And I'm sure one of the questions that, you know, gets asked, or at least I thought about when I was reading up on you is, what has been your most unexpected benefit of podcasting after, you know, seemingly have gained so much from being focused on land for so long? Well, you know, once you've done something for 10 years, you need a new challenge. And for me, that, that was a podcast. And it was really a selfish endeavor because it allowed me to talk to my heroes and, and mentors and, and meet guys like you and, and ask these questions that there's no way I would have been able to get those questions answered. And so, you know, like a good example is Sharon Lecter. She co-wrote uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad with uh, Robert Kiyosaki. And just... You know, there's no way I would have been able to meet her without the podcast. Um, and there's been so many, you know, great best-selling authors we've had and experts in their fields. And really to be able to extract their success secrets has been uh, a true, you know, blessing. And I recommend that everybody have a podcast if they can do it. 
Yeah, most definitely. And uh, I definitely also recommend reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's a that's a book that will will definitely change your perspective, especially like you said, like like Mark and a lot of other people who are looking for other ways to get out and be an entrepreneur. So definitely check that book out, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, for sure. Um, so I guess, you know, one of my things is uh, I, I love real estate as well. Um, kind of dipping my water, my uh, toe into the water with it right now. And I wanted to know, you know, what are some of the qualities that you look for when you're investing in land? So really, I want to buy the asset 25 cents on the dollar. If I do that, I know there's a pig for every barn. So that's honestly, that's really it. Um, it's nice if it's compelling, but you know, if there's, you know, mountain views or there's lake or it's in the path of growth, but I've bought properties on the side of a mountain and sold it and made, you know, 10 X my investment. So it's, it's a really interesting niche that, you know, you don't realize it until you're in it. There's a lust for land in this country. And as long as you buy it right and you price it right, it's going to fly off the shelf. And that's the important note. I have a notepad. I'm going to write that one down. But um, while I do that, I do want to ask, what can you tell us about the official Land Geek Motivational Wealth Creation Group? And what can our listeners expect if they uh, were to join? You know, it's a free Facebook group, and it really allows them to be part of a, a community of like-minded land investors and just, you know, make those network connections and, and, uh, and communicate there. I I think it's, I think it's a great free group. It's great. It's a great way to, to dip your toe in the water and and see if this is something that connects with you or not. Yeah. And I I definitely agree. You know, if you're interested in joining that, that'd be amazing to to for our listeners to get into. Um, and I, I also wanted to know, you know, uh, you, you mentioned some of the, the ways that you look for land through tax auctions, and everything like that. Um, are there any other places that you spend your time looking for deals or is that basically the main one? Well, I really want to get either the, the tax delinquent list or the county assessors list. Okay. I'm going to scrub that list out. I'm going to get rid of all the industrial property, commercial property, residential property. Uh, usually I can just do it through use code. Let's say for example, VL for vacant land. Then I'm going to scrub it again by acreage. So I'm going to bundle the one acres, the five acres, the tens, the twenties, the forties, and so on. Because if I send somebody an offer that has a 40 acre parcel, the same offer as a person that has one acre, that 40 acre person is going to send me glitter back in the mail. So I don't want to do that. So that's really what we do is um, we want to get to those sellers before they go to the tax deduction, which could be very competitive. Okay. And uh, definitely want you to, I know we talked about earlier, but I still want you to shout out, uh, what is your podcast and where can they find it at? Yeah, so I've got three podcasts. Um, I've got the Land Geek podcast, uh, which has over 100 episodes, and they can unlock uh, the first 10 on iTunes, and then they can get the rest um, at thelandgeek.com. Then there's the Best Passive Income Model podcast. uh, That has over 100 episodes where I interview experts in various fields. And I'll ask them at the end, after I explain my model, do I have the best passive income model? And it's always interesting to hear what they have to say. And the current podcast, which has over 100 episodes, is the Art of Passive Income Model. And uh, my partner, Scott Todd, and I interview experts. And then we have a weekly roundtable with land investors just talking about the current market. So those are all on iTunes and Stitcher. 
Um, and if you go to the landgeek.com, you can download for free our passive income blueprint, get the ebook, how to avoid the three fatal land buying mistakes. Um, you can download uh, the first chapter for free of my new book, uh, Dirt Rich, uh, which is coming out in a few weeks. And, um, and also uh, get the podcast delivered each week to your email inbox. And guys, if you want, if your listeners email support at thelandgeek.com and they put in the subject line, you know, uh, educated hustle or Paul and Emilio, we'll send them for free our $97 passive income launch kit. And that'll really give them a head start. Oh yeah, that definitely sounds like a deal. I might have to pretend to be a listener to to, to qualify for that one one time, but um, <laughs> I know <laughs> there you um, go. <laughs> uh, we have reached the, the the near end of educational experience. Mark, you've been a great guest. I just want to hit you with the final two questions and really help sum up your your visit here. So the first one's always easy. Can you let the listeners know how they can connect with you? Yeah, thelandgeek.com is going to be the best place to go. Thelandgeek.com. All right. Nice, nice. And then the final question, no prejudice, the final question that we have for you today, and of course the last thing our listeners are going to hear from you from this episode, but can you give us some parting words of wisdom? Yeah, I'm going to quote Zig Ziglar. If you'll do for the next three to five years what other people won't do, you'll be able to do for the rest of your life what other people can't do. So if you'll do... For the rest, so if you'll do for the next three to five years what other people won't do, you'll be able to do for the rest of your life what other people can't do. Boom, the mic has just dropped. Mark, we appreciate you coming on to educate us. It's been a pleasure. Really are thankful to have you here today. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. And there you have it, folks. That was Mark Podolsky dropping those gems and telling you how you can get rich off that land. Emilio, what you think, man? I think it's been a while since we had, you know, a real estate and entrepreneur guru on the show. And you could definitely feel that that present was missed with Mark coming on the show, that he dropped a lot of helpful gems, that he really dropped a lot of knowledge. And, of course, that deal he offered to educate us with people. I wasn't lying. If y'all don't do it, I will. I'll be pretending to be a listener if it's going to give me a $97 book for the free. But either way, enjoyed him come on to there. I did think he dropped a lot of knowledge. So I was glad that he was able to really speak to the people about not only his hustle, but how you too could get involved in the hustle. Agreed, man. Yeah. Um, it's probably to the average listener, to the person that isn't involved in real estate, it probably sounds like he's kind of selling a dream, you know, something that really can't be achieved. But, man, looking at it firsthand and talking to a bunch of people who do real estate, I mean, it really is really simple to get started you know you just really gotta look for people who aren't paying paying their mortgage paying their taxes and swoop in and kind of offer them a sweet deal that they can't refuse and then like he said flipping that off to the next person who can't afford it so that's really all real estate is is man identifying people in trouble helping them get out of trouble so that you can make money off of it so it looks like mark is doing that and definitely encourage people to connect with mark if they want to learn more just like we encourage people to connect with us in case they need to learn more which is our favorite favorite segment of the whole guest experience how you yes you can reach us educate us reach for a variety of different means on social media we are on snapchat at educate us that's all one word educate us there you post a little snap on the scenes and of course inspirational things to keep you motivated and hype throughout the week we are also on 
Instagram at Educational Podcast. Once again, that's Educational Podcast. There you do little shout-outs to the episode that came out this week, some highlights, and of course, the real lucky Paul Curious and personal content content to help you get inspired for the week. You can also like our page on Facebook by simply going to Facebook and typing in Educational Two Words. You know you've seen the right page because you'll see that logo that you guys all know and love. Now I gotta take a break from that plugging to go into some more plugging. If you have not done so already, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's really easy to do. Just go to the iTunes Apple Podcast app, search educate us with two words, you'll see the show logo, click it, scroll down once clicking it, you'll see write a review option, click that, and then you want those five stars, five stars, five stars, five stars, five stars, then of course a review title, then a review summary itself to be something short and simple as it's lit or something long and deep. And poetic ass is still lit. Either way, please rate and review if you haven't done so. When you rate and review the show, that brings more awareness, which then brings more guests, which then brings you more episodes, which then brings you more enjoyment. So please, like circle like it gots to do it. Now to get out of that plugin and go back into my initial plugin, if you have not done so already, follow us on Twitter at educator underscore hustle. Once again, that is educator underscore hustle. There do tweets, daily interactions. That's probably one of the best ways to reach me and Paul because it goes right to our phone. And then last but never least, if you really enjoy the show, you want to give feedback, or you just want to let us know how we're doing, or you want to be on the show, don't hesitate to email us at educatehustlepodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is educatehustlepodcast at gmail.com. Yes, sir. And as always, bro, you got to close us out, man. So close us out. Uh, people, 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 follow Mark's lead and example and go out there and take advantage of something that you had to fear of. Obviously... It comes with that uncertainty and fear for a reason because nothing that is worth having is going to be easy to do. But when you go in and you try, you can always say to yourself, I made this first attempt and then move on from there. It's one of those things you learn that even if you do fail, you just stand back up and keep trying and keep trying to hit that pay dirt. Which is why we encourage everyone to educate us to listen to go out there and make that move. We're here for you. And you just might earn yourself a spot on the show one day if you take that first step down. Yes, sir. And as always, you got to stay educated and keep hustling.